Sisters, last Sunday we began a new series together called Lord of All, Jesus Over Every Area of Life. And we began that series by acknowledging a dichotomy that exists at salvation. You know, one of the difficult demands I said last week of the Christian faith is that Jesus wants to be Lord over absolutely everything. He wants all of you, all that you are, all that you have, he wants to be Lord of. And one of these things that happens when we come to faith in Jesus, when we uh, come to salvation in him, is we confess Jesus as Lord. And that's what Paul says in Romans 10, verse 9. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But though we confess that at salvation, it's a confession that's largely made in faith. Because when we confess Jesus is Lord at salvation, we don't really understand what that means. We don't know the fullness of what it means for Jesus to be Lord. It is something that is revealed over time to us as we experience Jesus more and more. And so what we have to understand as Christians is that when we confess Lord at salvation, He is Lord positionally in that moment, but we experience it more and more over time where He exercises more of His Lordship as we come under His authority. And we talked about this last week and kind of illustrated it using this great little booklet by Robert Boyd Munger called My Heart, Christ's Home. When in this booklet, Munger uses the illustration of a house to represent our hearts. And he talks about how Jesus comes into the home, and the home has many different rooms. And Jesus goes on a, a walk about the house and goes into every single room. And he goes into the study, which represent the mind and the, the thoughts and the images of our minds. He goes into uh, the dining room, which represents our appetites. He goes into the living room, which represents our free time and how we, we spend our free time. He goes into every aspect of the house and cleans it up. And then at the end of this little booklet... It says that there was this little two-by-four room up on the second floor that there was a stench coming from. And the man in the booklet basically said, oh, nobody enters that room. I keep it locked. Nobody's allowed in there. And Jesus was like, well, I'm going in there. And he got angry and said, well, I've given you every other room of the house. Why do you care about this two-by-four little closet? And it's because Jesus wants everything. And he tells the man, I'm not going to stay in this house with this stench. And the man says, okay, listen, if you're going to clean out this closet, you need to do it. I don't have the strength to do it. And so he allows Jesus to clean out that closet. And at the end of the booklet, we see this revelation that this man has. He goes, wait a second, Lord, I've been trying to run this house my entire life. I've been trying to do it, and I can't stay on top of it. Every time I clean a room up, another one gets messy. How about I give you the deed to the house, and you run the house, and I will just live there as a tenant. And the heart behind that story is what we're talking about. It ends with this little sentence that says, May Christ settle down and be at home as Lord of your heart also. And that's the hope of this series. That we would allow Jesus to settle down and be at home as Lord of our hearts, that he would be Lord over everything, that we would give him every room in the house, including that little closet that's locked that we don't want anybody to go into, that we would give him the key of our heart and say, Jesus, 
You run the house because I can't do it. I've tried and I've failed. Our grounding scripture for this entire series is Ephesians 3, 16-17, where Paul is praying. And he says, According to the riches of His glory, may He grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. We want Christ to dwell in our hearts as Lord. And so through this series, to help us do that, we're going to be going through Ephesians chapter 4 to chapter 6. Because in those chapters, there are many areas of life or rooms, if you will, that Paul touches on that Jesus wants to be Lord over. And so we're going to look at each one of those areas of our life in the coming weeks. But we began last week by unpacking very quickly Ephesians 1 to 3. Because I said, you know, before we allow the the Word of God to bear weight on us in specific areas, uh, we need to do some foundational work first. Because Paul doesn't go into his letter in Ephesians and immediately start saying, hey, this is how you have to live, right? Paul lays some groundwork first that makes living with Jesus as Lord completely essential to our lives. And so we highlighted kind of two major things in Ephesians 1 to 3 that Paul talks about. The first thing was that his lordship is essential in our life because of his authority. Paul says Jesus has been given all authority. He is over authority over everything in heaven and on earth. And so for us to not live with him as the ultimate authority is actually to live in rebellion against where all of creation is moving. And then the second thing that Paul talks about that we looked at is that Jesus' lordship is essential because of his love and his grace for us, because of what he has accomplished for us, that we literally went from death to life, that we were enemies of God, and he made us children of God. And out of that thankfulness and out of that gratefulness, we give all of ourselves to Jesus as Lord of our lives because of what he's done for us. And so if you weren't here last week, go back and watch that and listen to that, get caught up, or just read Ephesians 1 to 3 and you're going to get the gist of what we talked about last week. Today, we're going to be in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 that Nick just read. It is a prayer for spiritual strength. And what Paul is praying for in these verses is very informative and is very important for us in understanding how Jesus becomes Lord of an individual's life. And so kind of the flow of this morning is I'm going to give you the context of why Paul was praying this prayer. And then we're going to just look at what exactly was Paul praying for. And I want to end with just a beautiful picture of the love of Christ tied into Paul's prayer here. And so let's start with prayer and dig into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person here. Lord, your Word is living and your Word is active. And Lord, I pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would work in our hearts. Lord, there is a work that you want to do in here today. And I pray that you would do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, there is a reality of living with Jesus as Lord that we all need to understand more and more. We'll never do it perfectly in this life, but Lord, I pray that our hearts would more and more be surrendered to you. And Father, I ask this morning 
that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see what you want us to see today. That we would give our lives over to you. And that we would trust you. And that most of all this morning, that we would experience you. To know what it is to love you. There is nothing better. There is nothing sweeter. And so Lord, may you do that today. In Jesus' name. So if you have your Bibles, you can be in Ephesians 3. That's where we're going to be all morning. Uh, Paul, all morning, like, how long are we going to be here? <laughs> well, you just never know, right? Uh, <laughs> Paul begins in verse 14, and he gives a reason in verse 14 for why he's praying. Or he, he starts to anyways. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So there is a reason why Paul is praying for spiritual strength for the Ephesians. And if we go back to the beginning of chapter 3, we can actually begin to see the reason that Paul's praying. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul starts with the same thing. He says, for this reason, and then he continues, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So we get a picture here of why Paul is praying for them. Paul is a prisoner, and Paul was in prison on behalf of or for the sake of the Gentiles, including those in the church in Ephesus. And so he's praying for spiritual strength for them because the Christians in Ephesus were getting very discouraged that Paul was in prison. They were distressed over this. And you can imagine this must have been tough for them, right? They were probably thinking, what are we going to do? Like this apostle, this great apostle to the Gentiles is now in prison. What does this mean for our faith? What does this mean for the furtherance of this message of Jesus Christ? This was a pretty significant setback for them. And so they were becoming discouraged over it. And they knew that he was in prison because of them. So they were struggling a little bit. But you know what's interesting about it is that Paul didn't share the same view that the church in Ephesus shared. He had a completely different view of what was going on. He says in Ephesians 3 verse 13, he says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Well, that's interesting. What is Paul talking about? He holds this completely different perspective than the church in Ephesus. They couldn't understand why Paul was stuck in prison, how it was at all a good thing. And Paul was actually, I want to say okay with it, but he was kind of okay with it. And here's why. Paul starts praying for them that they would have spiritual strength in their inner being to see what he could see in his imprisonment. Because they could never see it in the natural. They needed God to strengthen them so that they could understand it and not be discouraged. And so the question is, what was the perspective that Paul held about being in prison? How was he not discouraged? And he tells us in Ephesians 3, verse 7 to 9 specifically, Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light to, for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And so 
Paul there, he's saying, listen, I was made a minister of this gospel by God's grace. And so my job, my calling is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I'm called to go from place to place and share these unsearchable riches of Christ and bring to light for everyone God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. And Paul understood that with so great a calling, it meant that he was going to come up against opposition. It meant that he was going to come up against imprisonment. He was going to come up against suffering, and he was going to come up against persecution. And it was worth it for Paul because Paul says in verse 10 to 12, he says, I do this so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to all the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. That's kind of cool. The manifold wisdom of God made known in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, he's saying, listen, it is worth it because it's through the church, it's through you Gentiles to whom I preached, for whom I am imprisoned, that God's wisdom is shown and his purpose is realized. And this is a purpose that was set forth before eternity, before the foundation of the world. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, this is a purpose that is brought forth in Christ. And in him now you have boldness, you have access to God. And so Paul is literally in prison going, like, I count it all joy being imprisoned on your behalf because of what you have now inherited through the gospel. How does Paul have that kind of outlook? How can Paul be in prison and have that kind of joy and say those kinds of things? And the only way that that can happen is because Jesus Christ is Lord over all of Paul's life. That's the only way that happens. Paul says in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That is a man whom Jesus is Lord over his life. Like Paul can literally say, Everything that I have, I count it as complete loss because knowing Jesus is worth far more. I have lost everything. And I'm okay with it. Because through the loss of everything, I, know gain, I gain Christ. In fact, all of those things, rubbish in relation to knowing Jesus. This is a man who's whose life is under the lordship of Christ. And Paul wants the same thing for the believers in the church in Ephesus. And so he prays, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. You know, you can, you can see Paul's earnestness in his prayer and his desire for the Ephesians to be strengthened by the position that he takes in prayer. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, that's not going to seem significant to us. Because bowing your knees before the Father is a pretty normal posture in our day and age. 
But it actually was not at all a normal posture back in the Old Testament. This is not a posture that Jews often took in prayer. Jews would usually stand and with their arms lifted and pray to God. They rarely got down on their knees and prayed. When you look at the Old Testament, there's only a couple of examples of this actually happening. It happens when Solomon dedicates the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. It happens uh, when Stephen is martyred in Acts chapter 7. And probably most significantly, it happens when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed. And so it's a significant posture for Paul to take. And it's revealing the earnestness of his prayer for spiritual strength for the church in Ephesus. So let's read what he prays again. His prayer actually starts in verse 16. It says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we think or ask, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now I want you to notice something in Paul's prayer. I want you to notice what he is stressing in his prayer here. Paul is praying for the inner life of those who are following Jesus. What is Paul not praying for? Paul is not praying for their outer life. Paul is not praying for the circumstance that they find themselves in. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for those things. But I will say this. If our prayers are largely based on our outer life, are largely based on our circumstances, our situations, then we are likely missing the significance of what God wants to do in our inner being. Our priority is often our circumstances. Because we, we look at them and we see that's what's causing the immediate pain. That's what's causing my anger. That's what's causing my frustration. But God's priority is usually the heart. It's usually the inner being, not our circumstances. So Paul prays, may God grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, Paul could he have prayed for freedom from his chains? Absolutely. Was he? Probably. Right? And it, it happens for him at another point in life. He just gets released from prison miraculously. Right? Paul could pray for changed circumstances so that which is distressing the church in Ephesus is removed. And I'm sure he was praying for that. But the prayer that he wrote to them and the prayer that ended up in God's word is a prayer for inner strength. Because Paul knows something that we all need to learn. While a favorable change in circumstance may improve our feelings temporarily, circumstances have this funny habit of happening again and again. 
And if the only change that happens is an external one, then we find ourselves in a new, difficult situation with the same discouragement. You ever had that happen? I'm sure all of our arms would be up. You ever been in a difficult situation and you, you get out of it and you're like, thank God, and then the next day you're like, what? And you feel like you're right back to where you were the day before. And so more than an external change, we need an internal strengthening so that we meet external circumstances in the power of Jesus Christ, not in our own power. If we don't have inner strength, then we don't have peace, regardless of what our circumstances are. You know, there's a, there's a lure, an admitted lure to focusing on changing our circumstance. There's a lure to remaining focused on external things. We think if we can change our circumstances, it means we'll be happier. But in reality, we don't need a changed circumstance. We need more of Christ in every single circumstance. So that's what Paul's praying for, for the Ephesians. But it's a prayer that echoes through history, and it's a prayer for us as well. So Paul prays for several things. But everything that he prays for is toward a singular aim. Right? Paul prays for the Ephesians to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit, for Christ to dwell in their hearts through faith, for them to be rooted and grounded in love in order to have strength to comprehend the love of Christ, to be filled with the fullness of God. These are all the things that Paul prays for, and each one of those things is wonderful, and each one of those things is needed, but there's actually a specific aim in all of that, and we can see it if we follow the flow of God's prayer carefully, just follow with me. He says in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Okay, so Paul wants us to be strengthened with power through the spirit of God in our inner being. But is that the end? No, because verse 17 begins with, so that. Okay, so you want to be strengthened with power so that something happens. Well, what is that thing? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So we need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in our inner being so Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith. Is that the end? No. Because then Paul says that, or so that, you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Okay. So we need to be strengthened so that Christ will come to dwell in our hearts so that we will know the love of Christ. Is that it, Paul? No. That, or so that, you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's what Paul's praying for. We need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit so Jesus will come and dwell in your hearts by faith so that you will know the love of Christ. And when you know the love of Christ, you will be filled with the fullness of God. That is Paul's aim. May you be filled with the fullness of God. And this has immense implications when we're talking about the lordship of Christ. To be filled here, the, the Greek word that's used, it means to be complete. It's the idea that God would fill all of your life. 
And that can only happen when we comprehend Christ's love for us. And that can only happen when Christ dwells in our hearts. And that can only happen when we are strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And so that's what Paul's praying for. But we're not done yet. It gets better. Because I want us to see something that is so significant, and I believe is the point of all that Paul is praying here. There's something interesting about what Paul prays for in these verses. All the things he prays for happens at salvation. Do you notice that? We are strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes to dwell in our hearts at salvation. We come to know the love of Christ because of what he's done for us on the cross. We are filled with God through the Holy Spirit. It happens at salvation. So why is Paul praying for this then? And here's what we need to get with our whole hearts. Paul is praying for these things because we obtain them objectively upon salvation. They are ours. But we need to come to know them experientially, that they are actually ours. There is a difference. It's the same principle we talked about last week. Jesus is Lord positionally at salvation, but we need to come to know him as Lord as we walk with him and give our lives over to him more and more. And what Paul is praying for here is experiential Christianity. He is praying for what's true objectively to become true in our inner being, for us to go from knowledge to knowing, from head to heart. That is what Paul's praying for here, because it's not knowledge, but knowing that grows Jesus's lordship. It's not head knowledge, but it is a captivated heart, a captivated inner being that grows Jesus's lordship. The Bible understands the inner being of a person, it's our heart, it's our soul, it's where our conscience dwells. It is tied to our will, it is tied to our emotions, it is tied to the decisions that we make. And so Paul knows that's the place that must be transformed for us to have the fullness of God in a way that actually changes us, that actually impacts us, that means something on a daily basis. So it's not just words. Paul's praying for us to experience these things. Let me give you three examples that I hope just hammers this home, what we're talking about this morning. C.S. Lewis, he uses uh, this illustration where he, when he's talking about theology and doctrine, all the things that we know. He says, theology and doctrine are a map. Well, a map is important, right? Because it lets you know a city. It shows you the layout of the city. You can know where the streets are. You can know where the tourist destinations are. All of those things are marked on a map. But if your knowledge of a city is only through a map, you don't actually know the city. You know the city once you've experienced it. Once you've walked through the streets, once you've seen the people, once you've visited the landmarks, that's how you come to know a city. Personal example. 
Example number two. This is a left turn, but it's okay. Stick with me. Demons. What? Yeah, demons. You read scripture. You read the gospels. Demons are real. Jesus casts them out. The apostles cast them out. We see it over and over in the gospels. I read the gospels for many years of my Christian walk. Yeah, demons are real. And then one evening, Kate and I came face to face with a demon. And it was like, oh, demons are real, right? Like it goes from here to, oh my goodness. No, like this is legit. There's a difference between knowledge and knowing. Last example. If you're married in here, I'm sure you love your spouse. How do you know you love your spouse? Well, because you have a marriage certificate that says that you married them, right? No. Like I have a marriage certificate that says I married Kate. But that's not how I know I love her. I know I love her because I spend every day with her. I wake up next to her in the morning. I go bed next to her at night. I get to know her heart and her mind. That's how I know I love her. Because I experience her. And this is what Paul's praying for. This is what he wants to happen. He's praying that what is true in salvation may become more and more true experientially that you may know. And that's how the Lordship of Christ grows in your life. You know, one of the popular ideas in evangelical Christianity, which isn't wrong, but can be taken too far, is this idea, don't put experience over the Bible. That's true. But this idea that kind of grew out of a response to a movement that was all feely, all in the clouds Christianity, is sometimes taken too far. Where we cut off experience as though it has no value at all. And that is not true of any other area of our lives. So why would it be true of this? So we have this, this danger of two extremes. And you're going to find yourself landing in one or the other a little bit. We've got to fight for the middle ground, like most things in Christianity. We love to go to the extremes, get into the middle on a lot of the things. So there's a Christianity that values knowledge over experience, where it's largely driven by the intellect, and experience and emotions are cut off. And then there's a Christianity that values feelings over what is true, driven largely by the emotions. Both of those, not true Christianity. True Christianity is motivated by the inner being that is strengthened and affects the entire being and engages everything. Engages the intellect, engages the emotions, engages experience. All of it coming together in response to our Lord and King. Here's a test that we can all do between real and fake Christianity in different areas of our life. If you know something or you feel something and it doesn't change you, 
then it hasn't touched your inner being. It's just knowledge or emotions. That's not the aim. The aim is to be changed in our inner being. And that's what Paul is saying. That we be captured by the Lord Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? I was going to keep going, but I want to stop there. Heavenly Father, I feel like my words would fail to communicate the importance of this. That we would be captured by, by you in our inner being. Lord, I pray for each heart in here. I pray for the hearts that are weary. I pray for the hearts that are struggling. Would you strengthen them in their inner being? We often look to our circumstances, and they can help, but what we all need is more of you. Lord, I pray that we would want to experience you, not just have knowledge of you, but that, like Paul prays for, we would want more and more of you in our inner being, that you would be Lord, that you would take over all of our hearts. Father, there are those of us in here this morning who are stuck because of strongholds, who are stuck in false belief. And we need Jesus to go to that area of our heart and break off those lies. Lord, we have people in here this morning who are terrified to give you more of them. To move from the place of knowledge to knowing because it's scary. And we have to be able to give up control to do that. We give ourselves over to you and go, okay, Lord, I'm yours. And some are terrified to do that. God, I pray that you would work in their hearts this morning, that you would show them that you are gentle and you are lowly. And that, yeah, Lord, when we give you our lives, you will call us to things that we would never go to ourselves. You would call us into situations that can be so uncomfortable sometimes. But you have also promised that you will be with us. Just like your disciples, when you sent them out, and you said the Holy Spirit will give you what to say in the moment. It's the same for us. We serve the same God. And so may fear just fall to the floor this morning. We refuse to give our hearts over. I pray that fear would fall to the floor. And what the enemy wants to steal and hold us into, that it be cast off in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that this morning, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts. All of us need it. All of us need you more and more as Lord.
thank you for loving us. And I just pray this over everyone here this morning, that according to the riches of your glory, Lord, that you would grant each one here today to be strengthened with power through your Holy Spirit in their inner being. That Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. That they would be rooted and they would be grounded in love. That they would have the strength to comprehend with everyone here what is the breadth and length and height and depth of your love. That we would know, that we would know, not just know of, but know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled, that every single one here would be filled with the fullness of God. And we pray these things from a place of what Paul says in verse 20, to you who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. May all of it be to your glory. To the glory of you in the church. To the glory of Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever.